This is Wayne Goldsmith, and welcome to Sports Thoughts. I've spent 25 years traveling the world, working with some of the world's best athletes, coaches, and teams, trying to discover what it is that they do, how they think, and what it takes to be the best in sport. Subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com to keep up to date with my thoughts on sport. Okay, welcome to Wayne's World. It's Wayne's World with Wayne Goldsmith. Every Wednesday, we talk to our coaching guru, Wayne Goldsmith. His website is wgcoaching.com. All sorts of great stuff on there, including how to get in touch with Wayne if you'd like to avail yourself of his services, which are many and varied. He joins us from the wonderful Gold Coast of Australia. Morning, sir. Morning, Piney. I don't know about it being a quiet news day. I just, uh, well, maybe there, but uh, two or three things jumped out at me immediately this morning. I am a self-confessed tragic Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs fan. I was born in Canterbury Hospital. I grew up in Bankstown and played junior rugby league in that area. So that's been my uh, confession for the morning for most of my life. I've, uh, I've been a Canterbury Bulldogs fan. They tell me that Steve Price has just been appointed as director of football. Uh, a great, great player and former Canterbury stalwart and premiership captain and all those things. And then there was another interesting piece of news, as you know, a bit of background in swimming. And Laurie Lawrence, our great uh, Olympic gold medal producing coach and uh, a royal campaigner, an ambassador for water safety, uh, life saving, and learn to swim, made a public comment about uh, some issues of the Shana Jack issue, saying that basically parents need to toughen up a bit. And because uh, there's been a bit of controversy here in the last week where Shana Jack's coach, Dean Boxall, uh, has been uh, uh, anonymously, anonymously and baselessly accused of being a little bit too tough and a bit too hard on some of his athletes. And uh, that's gone through the media. And Laurie Lawrence has come out this morning and said, parents, you need to toughen up a bit. So, mate, it's a hot news day. All right, well, can I just pick up on that last one? I saw the Steve Price news, and of course we love him over here. I think he's probably, apart from yourself, Wayne, the most universally admired Australian in our country. <laughs> he's a, well, what a guy. I mean, he's, he's just got that, I dare I say, Richie McCaw type uh, yeah, respect, you know, isn't he? He's, he's a great player, no rubbish associated with him, no controversy, great leadership, influential on younger players, and yet... You, you, you see a handful of them in your lifetime, and yeah, what a what a wonderful guy! I hope he can get in there and make significant impact. He's, he's always made a difference wherever he's been. I, great news, I think. A wonderful appointment. Yeah, absolutely. They need something, don't they, at uh, Bulldogs HQ? And I think he's, as you say, the uh, the bloke who might be uh, might be um, well a guy who can turn things around there. Let's hope so. So, just on the swimming stuff, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a theme that you and I have talked about a lot. Um, you know, do you, is there a is there more of a uh, a feeling that parents are now questioning the the toughness of swimming sessions? Uh, you know, is and is there a mood among swimming coaches that actually that parental interference is interfering with the way that they train their young athletes? Well, that's been coming for a long time. There's no, there's just no doubt about that. And and if you go back, the history of Swimming and athletics in this part of the world are very tied up together. You had one of the greatest coaches of all time in Arthur Lydiard, 
And at the same time, he was athletics. And we, at the same time, had a contemporary of his called Forbes Carlisle. It was a great swimming coach. And the two of them were very much in similar lines of philosophy about the need to work hard and the need to do a lot of work. And their brilliance at the time, and they had incredible... I mean, look at you guys. They had, they had Snell and um, the Quacks and Halberg. I mean, you just rattle them off, the, the great, great... New Zealand runners, Walker of the the time, who were all influenced by that line of thinking. And we had most of our great swimmers of that era were all influenced by Forbes Carlisle. And so then the next generation followed that on. And and it's been very much this part of the world that we are known swimming athletes to work very, very hard. And that's been our culture. And certainly in this specific case with Laurie Lawrence, the, the stories about him and his workouts a legend about just how hard the swimmers worked. And some of the swimmers became very, very good. And John Seaborn and Duncan Armstrong won Olympic gold medals in the 80s as a result of Laurie's hard work. But it would be fair to say that there's a shift towards more uh, balanced ways of coaching athletes, higher emphasis on mental skills, on technique and skills, on variation in training outside the pool. So I mean, at that time... It wouldn't be uncommon to see kids doing 80, 90, 100 kilometres a week in the pool. Uh, there are several current Olympic gold medalists around the world that I can say from first hand are doing less than half that training and are going faster than ever because of different training techniques. Mm. So it would be fair to say that. But this particular story was there's a website uh, that comes out of the United States, a swimming-specific website, and they published... Uh, an anonymous letter of complaint about Dean Boxall, who's uh, not just Shona Jack's coach, but um, Ariana Titmus's coach, saying that, again, anonymous and baseless and a little bit cowardly to do those sort of things in public, but the anonymous allegation was that he's too tough and too hard and pushes the athletes too much, and then that's created a real divide in discussion, one side saying, oh, well, yes, swimming coaches are too hard, too tough, too unrelenting in their demands. And the other side saying, well, that's the only way to get to the top. And then Laurie's come out this morning and really thrown a cat amongst the pigeons saying it's the parents who are too soft. Mm. Interesting discussion, which will continue, no doubt. Um, talking about polarising figures, Steve Smith has been that over the past 15 months, but... Uh, is he now closer to being uh, universally adored there again after you know twin centuries in the Ashes victory at Edgbaston? Well, I think it's a bit like the Shane Warne issue. Remember, we went through that period of time where Shane Warne was uh, the absolute darling and hero and and uh, you know cricket lord to just about everybody in in Australia. Then there was that issue around the positive drug test for, I think at the time it was a diuretic and all the drama that came out of that. And then there was some allegations of improper conduct and, you know, dancing crazily, uh, again, all through the newspapers, um, dancing crazily with um, uh, girls in hotel rooms and all that sort of stuff. And amazing that when he got another 100, 200, 300 wickets that everybody seemed to forget that and move on. <laughs> I think that... Um, even though what Smith did is a slightly different area of controversy, yeah. that's amazing. That two one hundred seem to cleanse uh, away a lot of that. But it's yeah, fascinating, isn't it? That that um, there's a guy that that if you follow the story closely, as, as you do and as we all do, that uh, took most of the responsibility for it on his shoulders as captain. 
public display of, of just uh, mental anguish and emotional breakdown with his father. Uh, and then if you've seen some of the things that, that he's done here, I don't know if they've been highlighted in New Zealand, but getting out to schools and talking about uh, accepting ownership and responsibility and leadership and going through a, uh, not just a 12-month penalty, but going through a 12-month journey of, I need to make this up to the Australian public. And look, I think history will be relatively kind to him because of the way that he's dealt with it. I think if he would have hid and and uh, had the spin doctors trying to diminish responsibility, I think it might have sat for a long time. But the way he's attacked it with integrity and hard work and then produced when he really needed to, I, I think he's well and truly on the road to redemption. Yeah, it's astonishing, isn't it, really? The fact that, you know, uh, you, you obviously while he's been out of the game, he's been, you know, I, I'm sure spending a lot of time in the nets. I mean, he's a he's a fastidious trainer. He's he's famous for it. But to come back and in your first test back after, what, 15, 16 months away, to not only play well, but to get back-to-back centuries, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an incredible testament to the guy's well, obviously his, his his physical attributes and his skill as a cricketer, but mentally as well, because self-doubt must creep in, mustn't it? Yeah, it'd have to. And it was it was an interesting article uh, online yesterday. I'm just trying to think of the source that it may have been the ABC here, but I'm not sure it was just him talking about his, uh, his own personal commitment to practice and there was a, a, a line by Justin Langer. He said, I think I've seen some incredible players over the years that are very committed to practice. And he said, but this guy, and, and he said, I'd be safe to say, I think Smith practices twice as much as any other batsman that I've had anything to do with. Now, you know, think about that. He's looking at Langer now. He was around. He wasn't playing with them, but he was certainly around even towards the end of the border era, the ponting, the... Uh, Matthew Hayden, yeah, he's seen some pretty good players. And then his overseas experience, he's seen some of the best players in uh, UK, New Zealand, subcontinent and so on over maybe the last 20, 25 years. And he's saying that what he sees in Smith is that he practices twice as much as any batsman that he's had experience with. And that's a, that's a pretty remarkable way to describe him. And in terms of confidence, I mean, just doing that amount of work and, and it was interesting, even Smith talking about his practice, he said that what he'll do is he'll come up with a bit of a scenario of a, a ball that he wants to, to get good at or a shot that he wants to learn how to play, and he'll just do it over and over and over until he's comfortable that he can do it without thinking. So, so there's so many good lessons coming out of this for young players, young athletes who are committed to be the best at set your own training standards. If I can find that article, I'll send it over, and maybe you can make it available but yeah fascinating insight into his practice absolutely can we shift our attention to rugby uh are the all blacks any any chance against your wallabies <laughs> yeah look i don't know that i'll be going out taking out a second mortgage and putting it on <laughs> on the wallabies i don't know that that's something i'll do i think the, the issue I, I thought today that seems to be getting a few revs is pocock and oh, pocock he's he's a, a wonderful player and and a man of um, great integrity. He is he's really a, a strong man around the team, not just in terms of physical ability, but in, in character and influence on the other 
uh, the players. I don't know if I told the story, and I'm sure he won't mind talking out of school, but I was touring with uh, the Western Force many, many years ago, and Poey was in the team, and he came and asked me to do something that no player, no athlete I've ever had anything to do with asked me before. He said, Goldie, he said, I've left my Bible back at the uh, the hotel. I'm wondering if you could find a way of getting it for me. And I mean, the, the, the guy's character and integrity and his sense of, of belief is really amazing. I mean, just, just incredible and, of course, a good player. But, yeah, we probably need more than one of him. We probably need five or six of him. And um, But, look, it'll be interesting. It's, it's always good to see games in Perth, too, because Perth is one of the few places in Australia where the game is growing and the game has, has developed some solid roots at uh, junior rugby level. So, yeah, it's, it's great to be over there investing in the game and to get to see... Australian team and, let's face it, the best rugby team in the world. So, fantastic opportunity for Perth. Mm, no, it'd be good to uh, good to watch them go at each other for the first time this year on Saturday night. Uh, the other thing that you mentioned in an email to me yesterday was, was interesting to me, and that's how teams, and you referenced the NRL as your example, how teams who are getting towards the end of the season now with five games to go know that all but mathematically, and in fact some cases even mathematically in the case of someone like the Titans, they're not going to make the top eight in the NRL, and yet they still have to play the season out. How How is it best for coaches, I guess, and for players to approach games when really they know, regardless of whether they win them or not, they're not going to be involved in the in the playoffs at the end of the season? It's a, it is a good topic, Piney. It's a, what I've, some of the ways I've seen it tackled over the years, no pun intended, but some of the ways I've seen it approached. In some clubs, I'll say, guys, uh, there'll be an extended win bonus for the last five because we need to show some signs of improvement and there'll be some additional bonuses available for uh, wins leading in. So I've seen it done that way. Positives and negatives are doing it for money. I've seen it done where they've said, guys, this is our plan for 2020. Now, the way that we will start, well, the way we'll have a great 2020 is that these last five games will lay the platform for the way we'll play next year. So sometimes I've seen coaches approach it. They say, okay, well, sure, 2019 is gone, but these last five games are, in effect, the first five games of 2020. And next year, or our approach next year, will be based on uh, impenetrable defence in our home games or it'll be based on uh, a really powerful, um, hard-driving forward play up the middle. Or, you know, that... I've seen coaches approach it that way, whereas they get them immediately saying, OK, it's gone, let's let it go. Well, what's the best way of letting something go? Moving on. Moving on to something else with a, a bit of energy. I've also seen it obviously done in some codes, particularly AFL, where they're thinking about the opportunity in the draft that they may or may not put everything they've got in them. And the issue of tanking always comes up this time of year where if you're down around the bottom of the table knowing it's advantageous to then finish towards that end to get preferential draft picks. That's always a controversy, and I, I, the media are all over results in the AFL this time of year with the belief that some teams deliberately lose. I've never subscribed to that. I, I, maybe I'm naive and a bit silly, but uh, I don't know too many professional teams who sit around and say, guys, I think we'll back off here and deliberately lose a few so we can recruit some better players. i I'd find that very, very hard to believe that that actually goes on. I think it's just a bit of a stir that people put on this time of the year. So there's a lot of different ways of attacking it. But in the end, I think you appeal to the personal pride and the pride not just in 
yourself as an athlete, but in the, the pride that you have as a group and say, guys, yeah, sure, we're 15th, 16th on the ladder, but we've got some big scouts ahead of us and we're going to take them down. We're going to take down four or five of the big guns and show that we're still a presence and we've still got uh, pride in ourselves and a belief in ourselves as professional players. So, yeah, I've seen it done many, many ways. Mm, good stuff, Wayne. Always great to chat, mate. Um, enjoy the rest of your week and we'll uh, we'll talk again next Wednesday. Always fun, Piney. Always fun. Good on you, mate. Wayne Goldsmith there. Our uh, Wednesday morning regular with Wayne's World just after the news at uh, 10 every Wednesday. The website wgcoaching.com. Lots of great stuff on there for uh, for sporting parents, for coaches, for elite and amateur sports people, administrators, anybody involved in sport really. You can get uh, great value out of the stuff that Wayne uh, puts on his website and I uh, hope you enjoy listening to him every Wednesday as well. Here on Radio Sport, it's 10.29. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more sports thoughts, subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com.